Well, not all jobs and professions are created equal. Some require different skill levels. Some come with higher stakes. And the higher skilled jobs and the higher stakes jobs usually means more pay, but also means more training before you can actually get going. I think we'd all agree that being a physician is a high skill and a high stakes job. Lives are on the line. So it's very important that doctors know what they're doing. This is why before they they practice, they spend years studying and reading and training and getting ready. The same goes for being a soldier. Being a soldier is a high stakes position. Lives are on the line. So before deployment, although they won't be in the books as much as a doctor, they'll spend years and months at least studying, training, preparing, learning the art of war. And this makes sense. When lives are on the line, the more training and preparation, the better. You just imagine the disaster of taking a fresh high school graduate, some young lady, putting a lab coat on her and saying, you're a doctor now, just treat all these patients. And I'm sure she'd do more harm than good. Or with a teen boy who has no training, just sticking a rifle in his hand and saying, you're a soldier now, just off to battle you go. And I'm sure he wouldn't last long. With these high-skill, high-stakes positions, training and understanding are essential to success. But here's the most amazing inconsistency when you think about it. You can think of parenting kind of like a job. In many respects, it's like a job. It's 24-7. It's an unpaid position. In fact, it will cost you a lot of money. But we take this job happily because we love our children. Now, here's the thing. Anyone can become a parent. That, though, might lead you to believe it's a low-skill position. But that is not true. Anyone can parent, but to parent well takes skill. It takes some knowledge, some training and preparation. I say parenting is a high-skill position. And it's certainly a high-stakes position. I mean, in one sense, the physical lives of your children are on the line, especially early on. They, they can't even physically survive if you're not parenting well and intervening. And also, their entire futures are at stake. And granted, parents cannot control the future, but they can most certainly set their kids up for a lifetime of success or a lifetime of ruin based on their parenting. So clearly, parenting is a monumental job. It impacts all of society. But this amazing thing is most parents receive no training. They don't even seek it out. They gain no learning or understanding of parenting before becoming parents. They might take a class or two on how to give birth. And so they'll learn about how to physically bring a child into this world. But after that, they're just, they're just going to wing it. It's just whatever comes. Now, does that sound right to you? A lot of parents will benefit from the counsel and help of their own parents and relatives in raising their kids. And sometimes that's good, but that's not, not always a good thing. What if they're just passing off their bad parenting habits to you? We don't expect those in the world to seek out a biblical parenting class, but you can just imagine how transformed our society would be if, if all people were required to attend a basic parenting class for a year. Can you just imagine that if that were a thing in America? And we know that's not going to happen anytime soon, but for us in the church, this is something you should seek out, especially since we appreciate the eternal stakes to parenting. I mean, talk about high stakes. We're dealing with souls created by God who are going to enter into eternity. We don't control their eternal salvation, but we sure can set them up for a lifetime of blessing or ruin. This, this matters. And so I would sincerely hope that that all Christian parents would find themselves just desperately longing for God's knowledge, God's wisdom on parenting. 
like I mentioned in the prayer, that the father in Proverbs 2 is pleading with his son to seek wisdom, to search for it, to desperately long for it like a hidden treasure, to cry out for it. God has made all things. He made you. He made your children. Don't you want to know what, what he has to say, whatever it is, about this job of parenting? We do. You do that. That's why you're here. The world may not place a high premium on gaining parenting knowledge and wisdom, but I trust you do. You desire to gain a biblical understanding on parenting that you might put it into practice. This here is our third lesson of this biblical parenting crash course. We're, we're still in the first stage, which is all about gaining understanding, preparing for the job, getting some of that teaching, that equipping, that training. We're trying to learn the fundamental biblical principles on parenting. And so far, we've covered the goals, the mission, the heart of biblical parenting. This evening, we'll add one more fundamental understanding. Then starting next week, we will turn the corner into the practice, learning how we go from knowing to doing. But this is also important because our kids are important. So I'm glad you're all here seeking understanding. We're going to carry on with that today, this evening. We're going to continue with this, the dynamic of biblical parenting. That'll be kind of our main subject for today, the dynamic of biblical parenting. And by this, I'm just talking about establishing the true nature of the relationship between parent and child. What is their dynamic? You'd think we shouldn't even need to address this. It should be obvious. But I think we know our culture is defined by confusion on so many things today. And the right relationship between parent and child is now one of them. There are some parents who act as if it's wrong to be a parent. Our world has turned so far against the legitimate exercise of authority. They don't want to be perceived as authorities. They don't want to be perceived as like oppressors, making their kids act and say and do certain things. Other parents have not intentionally abdicated their right to parent. They've effectively done so by their practice. They don't expect or require obedience from their children. And as a result, the children rule the roost. These parents desperately try and have their kids obey and stay in line. But whenever a battle of wills ensues, that some of these parents are quick to surrender. And in the end, the children function more like the parents. They're calling the shots. It's their will that is done. They're making the decisions. They're affecting the behavior of their parents. And the parents, meanwhile, they're acting more like the kids. They're along with the ride. They may be advisors, but they're not really calling the shots. When parents are plagued by, by ignorance and ineffectiveness, these types of role reversals are common and disastrous. We're getting very close in this little crash course to defining the task of biblical parenting. That will start next week. But you're going to be completely hamstrung in your ability to fulfill all the tasks of biblical parenting if you don't get this parent-child dynamic straight, according to Scripture. I wish it were as simple as saying, you're the parent. They're the child. Act accordingly. And just assume you know all that means. And it used to be the case, but it's just no longer the case. Some of you here might know all this. You have it down. You'll, you might learn nothing. But nonetheless, it has to be established. We have to cover this in a crash course, the right biblical dynamic between the parent and the child. We can't skip over it. It has many practical implications. So let's, let's go ahead and talk about it and clarify it, the, the dynamic of biblical parenting. We'll do so with, with two points, by establishing 
two points. The first, and they're very simple, but like I said, we just have to lay the groundwork. First, children are called to obey their parents. Children are called to obey their parents, and called might be putting it too softly. They're outright commanded by God himself to obey their parents. God only gave children one direct command in scripture that's just for them. It's just one. It's to obey their parents. It's not complicated. This is what God expects. And it's critical that you and your children know it. You recall Exodus 20 verse 12. uh, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your your God gives you. This is the, the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments. It's the first commandment of the second table of the law. That just refers to the, the commands that deal with how we relate to one another. First four commands, how we relate to God. The last six commands, how we relate to others. Honoring father and mother has the first and chief place in how we relate to others in the world. How God, what God expects of us. As Paul says in Ephesians 6.2, commenting on this verse, this is the first commandment. That comes with its own promise of blessing. In fact, it's the only commandment that comes with any promise at all. You may say like, hey, that command didn't say obey. It says honor your father and mother. And the word for honor in Hebrew is kavod. It's a word used for glory. It's the word we often use in scripture to, to describe rendering honor and glory to God. Now, just earlier in the Ten Commandments, we were instructed not to worship other gods. So it's not like we're being told to worship our parents. But what does it say that we're called to honor them using the same language as we are, uh, that's used to describe how we honor God? We honor God and glorify him when we show him reverence and obey him. And similarly, we, we honor our parents when we revere them and obey them. In an appropriate way, this concept of honor in its essence includes obedience. Paul makes that clear in Ephesians 6. You can turn there now if you want to follow along. Obviously, a a clear and critical passage. But Paul has this commandment in mind as he's giving some bullet points, instructions to parents and children. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 3, to start. He first puts it in his own words. Ephesians 6, 1. Children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Then he quotes Exodus, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Ephesians 6 shows the ongoing, timeless relevance of this Old Testament command to honor our parents. This wasn't just God's will for Old Testament Israel. It's it's still his lasting will for all parents, even in the New Covenant Church, still expects children to honor and obey their parents. So this is not just an issue of Old Testament law. This is timeless. Verse 1, that their command is to obey. Hupakuo, it's the word for listen intensified, to listen intently where it's not just going in your ears, but it's traveling to your heart. You're listening with the intention of doing, i.e. to obey. In verse 2, it's in conjunction with honor, timao, to esteem, to revere. We're to hold our parents in reverence and honor. We demonstrate that with the happy attitude of our obedience, not a begrudging obedience, but honor with our obedience as we do with God. 
You see, though, this, this passage, Paul directly addresses this to children. There's very few passages directly addressed to children. This one has the clear command. This is God's will for them. This is what God expects of children. Our first point here, children are called, commanded to obey their parents. The, the parallel here in Colossians 3, you can um, turn there if you want to, to see that as well. Uh, just to the right, Colossians 3, verse 20, where Ephesians and Colossians, Paul has very similar trains of thought. It's very similar, but in a way, it takes it further. In Colossians three twenty, he says, children, be obedient to your parents. And then he says, in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. In all things, it, the only obvious exception is sin. But otherwise, children are fully under the authority of their parents. And look, this is not the call for children to willfully place themselves under the submission of their parents. No, this is not submission. This is obedience, where their will is irrelevant. It's plain and simple. They're, they're called to obey the will of their parents. This is well-pleasing to the Lord. So already, you're just scratching the surface, but already parents should have a takeaway. Should you call on your children to obey you in all things, apart from sin? Should you require it? Should you expect it? Should you discipline them when you don't get it? The answer is yes, absolutely, to all of those questions. You must seek their obedience. And parents, you need to embrace this mantle. It's only good and right for you to expect obedience from your children all the time. Yeah, you're not going to get it all the time, but you have to set the bar where Scripture sets the bar. God calls your children to honor and obey you in all things, all the time. That's God's standard for them and for you to represent to them. Now, I know today calling children to obey sounds brutish, sounds harsh, mean, unloving, heavy-handed. And children are seen as little free spirits. You just need to let them go and explore the world and discover themselves. You know, you can imagine a person overhearing a Christian couple who says to their child, like, no, you need to obey mommy and daddy. And he's disgusted. He says, who, who do you think you are? You're not their master. No, but, but we are their parents. And this is the dynamic God has established. And God established the, this dynamic for good reason. I want to continue supporting and helping you understand this first point. It's, it's as simple as can be. Children are called to obey their parents. You probably already get it. But just to support it further, let me add this point. God wants children to obey their parents for their own good. This is really designed for their own good. This is why it's only good and right for parents to expect and require complete obedience of their children. It's for their good. This obedience command has, in part, the protection and preservation of children in mind. All children are born with two serious problems. The first is ignorance, which is no fault of their own. It's just how we come into this world. We don't know anything. They have no understanding or awareness of how this world works. That includes all the dangers inherent in this fallen world, from gravity to sharp objects, they just have no understanding of anything. And this is a real problem, though, because it's a fallen world. And so, left to their own, this can lead to a lot of danger. You know that they're playing ball in the front yard and someone kicks the ball across the street. Why shouldn't you just blindly run across the street to get your ball? 
Why wouldn't you do that? Well, there's a good reason why they don't come programmed with that knowledge. Why shouldn't you play with the stove? Why shouldn't you run around the house with scissors? I can think of several good reasons. But uh, they're bound to put themselves and others in serious danger because they lack sense. And so one basic level, just to preserve their health, their safety, it's vitally important that they learn to obey their parents. And even as they get older, the dangers they face become more complex. You might have a 10-year-old, and you can expect that he he knows better than, than to run around the house with scissors in his hands. But does he know that just because all of his friends decide they want to start smoking behind their parents' backs, that he shouldn't do that too? Does he know about peer pressure and so forth? There's a whole host of dangers to their well-being that your children will face. You are there in part to guide them, to protect them. For that, they must learn to obey you for their good. That's not the only problem your children are born with, though. They're also born with a spiritual problem, namely, as we learned last time, depraved hearts, the, the sin problem, the sin nature. And so not only do they lack worldly sense, just understanding how this world operates on a, on a physical dimension, but they lack spiritual sense. They have no knowledge of sin and its effects and consequences. And their hearts already come oriented away from God and oriented towards self. Last lesson, we talked about total depravity and the sin nature in our hearts. It does not mean that your children are born like little devils and they're already as evil as they could be. No, they've not actively sinned yet, but that happens very soon. But it does mean their hearts are already turned away from God and turned towards self. That's the nature of spiritual deadness. And look, if that sin nature is never addressed, if they give into it and they're allowed to give into it time and time again, it will take them further and further away from God. They will become more and more opposed to God. They will become more devoted to self. They will become hardened and callous to sin. The blessing of children is that they come, though depraved with a, a, a sin nature, they're still sensitive with a brand new conscience, not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But if you don't take caution to guard them against unchecked sin, it will harden them over time. Then they will face eternal spiritual trouble. Key verse we've said many times, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: the foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. They're, they're just born fools in the proverbial sense, meaning they lack sense. They lack physical sense. They lack spiritual sense. They don't know better. This is why God wants them to listen to you, to obey you, because we trust you do know better. You have, let's hope, physical sense. You know what to do, what not to do in life, how to avoid danger. You know how the world works. And since we're talking about biblical parenting here, we can hope you know about the sin nature. You know about the deceitfulness of sin. You know about the only hope in the gospel, and you can lead them accordingly. This is why God wants you to lead, protect preserve, and guide your children accordingly. He wants them to obey you, that their ignorance might be traded with wisdom, and their sin nature might be, at the very least, put in check. Hopefully, they'll replace with a new nature as they behold the gospel of Christ. But God wants your children dependent on you physically and spiritually. Not forever. Of course, not forever. They're individuals, and they will 
give an account for themselves. But until they're old enough, they absolutely need you to make good and godly choices for them. You realize that, right? They absolutely need you to make good and godly choices for them, especially when they're young. Life is full of choices. Life is all about choices. But can you count on children to make godly, wise, biblically informed choices to the glory of God? Especially choices that might impact the next year, the next 10 years, the rest of their life. Or or will they, by default, make sinful, selfish, ruinous choices? The answer should be obvious, especially if you're a parent. You know, like, what kind of basic choices your children would make. Those that are probably not good for them. It's a kind of humorous, but still a good example. Just, Just consider diet. What would be the outcome if you allowed your children to choose 100% of their own diet. They got to choose every meal. They went to the market with you. They did all the, the choosing, what to buy, what's for dinner, what's for lunch, what are the snacks, what's the dessert. They, they're in full control of their diet. And let's just say they've never been educated on a good diet. So they don't know anything about nutrition. They're just going off of their base desires. So what kind of meal plan do you think they're putting together? Do you think that will be good for them or, or bad for them? It just reminds me of one of our favorite movies is Elf, where he has a classic dinner that I, I just pictured this is what a child would do if they were left to, to shop for themselves. It's spaghetti topped with strawberry, coconut, chocolate, raspberry sauce, marshmallows, and s'mores Pop-Tarts. You know you're a kid if you're eating s'mores Pop-Tarts. And that's what kids would do for themselves. They lack sense. And until they can gain some, you have to be sensible for them. This is why God has put them under your care and commanded them to obey you. We're trying to stop them while they're young from making choices that can terribly affect the rest of their lives, even their eternities. And all the while, we're trying to keep the soil of their heart soft and not hardened that they might be receptive to the gospel. When you fail to require and enforce their obedience, you give them over to their sin nature and it just comes out. You don't realize it, but by your abdication, you're you're contributing to the hardening of the soil of their hearts toward the things of the Lord and toward the gospel. No, this is why it's only good and right for you as parents to expect and require obedience from your children. So like I said before, Parents, you must embrace this mantle. This is not a call to be overbearing. This is not a call to be tyrant. We will learn about grace in parenting a lot. But it is appropriate for you to expect obedience from your children all the time. Again, you will not get it all the time. How you respond is part of the parenting task, part of your shepherding task. That's more in the next couple weeks. But this is where you need to set the bar. This is where God set the bar. You have to get this, represent this, and communicate this. All right, so this is the first dynamic of biblical parenting, more from the perspective of the child. Children are called to obey their parents for their own good. It's simple. It's something you know, but, but deeply understanding this and expecting this is a huge deal. But carrying on, let's add the second part of this dynamic. It's really the flip side of the same coin, that the second part of this dynamic of biblical parenting. Secondly, parents are called to exercise authority over their children. Might sound like saying the same thing. It's not, but it is the other side of the same coin. 
parents are called to exercise authority over their children. A brief note on authority. Romans 13.1 says there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. That's a verse in reference to governing authorities like the state, but government is not the only institution or authority structure God created. What is authority? How would you define authority? It is the right to rule over other people. It is the right to tell people what to do. What gives, when you think about it, what gives any single human being the right to tell another human being what to do or how to live? Nothing. There's nothing inherent in you that gives you that right to have authority over another human being. But God has all authority over every human being by virtue of the fact that he made us and he's God. But the thing is, God chose to delegate some of his authority to humans in order to rule. I can't do a full Bible study in this right now, but in short, God established three key institutions or spheres of authority to bring rule on earth. The state, the church, and the family. The state, the church, and the family. These institutions were not given unlimited authority over all people on earth, but they were given a real limited authority over their respective spheres. You have the state, which is the broadest authority, and to the state, God gave the sword. The state primarily bears the sword in its mission, which is to punish evildoers, to uphold a sense of justice, and to bring wrath on the one who practices evil. God himself instituted human governments after the flood as a means of putting a check on man's total depravity. God gave the state the sword to keep evil in check. Secondly, there's the church to which God gave spiritual authority. This is reflected in God giving the church the keys, the keys to the kingdom, not the sword, but the keys. The church is to use its spiritual authority to carefully rule over and shepherd and protect God's people, while at the same time being an influence in the culture to put another check on evil. The state, or rather the church, is also to to be an influence in the culture to stop evil from just being totally unleashed. And finally, there's the family. This is the smallest institution, but completely vital. And to parents, God has given the rod. Not the sword, not the keys, but the rod. And it's used to push the foolishness out of your child's heart that God's wisdom might enter in. But you can see, likewise, how God gave parents their authority to likewise put a check on the uncontrolled depravity and depraved nature of their children and to just put a check on the natural effects of sin in this world. Authority matters. Men seek it selfishly not to hold back sin and evil in this world, but really just to give in to all of their own desires. Men seek power and authority as a means of of achieving their sinful desires. That is not why God gave authority. It's obviously abused in this fallen world, but that is not why he gave anyone authority. He gives it to preserve life, to uphold justice, to halt evil, to stem the tide of sin. We can't control how those in the world use their authority, but we can control how we as parents use it. You have to understand, God has given you some of his authority for this task. You as parents have God's authority behind you for this task. You are expected to wield it and then to wield it rightly. 
You're God's agents over your children. If you're still in Ephesians 6, or if you want to go back to Ephesians 6, in verse 4, Paul is as brief as he can be. Did I just get louder? <laughs> I didn't think I was talking louder, but... You know, Paul is really just hitting the cliff notes at the end. He's summarizing his instructions, his imperatives for the church. And he just gives parents one verse, but that's all they need. It's succinct, but it establishes their authoritative function. We'll see a lot more of this verse in the weeks to come. But again, Ephesians 6, 4, he turns to the parents. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We'll see again, this could be translated parents. You know, obedience and honor are due to both mother and father. Mother and father partner under the husband's headship to bring up their children. So this, this legitimately is the mandate for both parents, mother and father. The father is head, but still mother and father have God's authority under the man's headship for this task. You see this likewise all throughout Proverbs. It is to the parents in all of scripture, all throughout scripture, it is to the parents, not the state and not the church that is given the mission to raise children. God has given only parents his authority to, to, in a sense, control the lives of their children, to bring them up in the way they should go. Parents discipline with the rod and instruct with the word to bring this about. Although we'll save comments on discipline and instruction for the next two weeks. Today, it's kind of amazing this, this warped view is emerging that it's somehow now the role of the state to rear your children or even the right of the state to raise up your children. I don't know if you've paid attention to how government tends to run things, but I don't know how anyone thinks getting the government involved in parenting would be a good thing or a good idea. But like, likewise, you know, it's also not the job of the church to raise your kids. Look, for the state, yeah, for some people, state education can be a helpful way to educate your children about math and science and history. And for some, church Sunday school can be a helpful way to help educate your children about the things of the Lord. But don't misunderstand, God's given his authority to you, the parents, to be the primary ones raising up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So in all, you need to realize that you are the authority over your kids. This authority does not come because you're bigger, because you're older, because you have more money. It's just a position inherent in all parents from God by his design, by his delegation. Already, you know what this means? You don't need your kid's permission to lead. It really doesn't matter if they give you permission or not. God says, you're the leader. You're the authority. So act like it. You don't have to wonder if you're in charge. You're in charge. It's vitally important. You, say you're, you see yourself as the one in charge in this relationship. Things might sometimes feel out of hand, like nothing's in charge. But still, by position, you're in charge. You need to, at the very least, act like it. Be faithful in it. Learn how God expects you to wield authority. You know, the reason we're laboring this point and just driving in on it, because parents... To, to really progress into the tasks of parenting, you, you, have, you, can't, you can't go any further until you get this. You need to know and believe this. This right here is what gives you your mandate to act as a parent and to act with confidence, knowing that you're doing the right thing. Even if you're not seeing short-term results, 
You're doing the right thing. Stay the course. Be faithful. You, you have God's authority to do these things. I know it's hard for some people today. I think especially for some fathers, that's because maybe for some in the world, they've never been in a position of authority. They're not leaders. They're not authority figures in their job, in their family dynamic, their extended family. They've, they've never been an authority. They've never had an authoritative position. They've always been men in the workplace or wherever under authority. When it comes to, it seems like all other aspects of their life, just it's always someone else telling them what to do. And look, that's fine. We all exist under some form of authority. Not everyone's going to be a boss or a CEO. And that, that's perfectly fine. But if you're a father... That means you now instantly have become an authority. You are an authority figure. Even if it's just over one child, God has made you his or her authority. You have to get this through your mind. You have to start thinking like a leader, a shepherd, an authority over a person. Even if it's such a foreign concept to you, well, that's why you're here. You're gaining understanding, trying to learn, okay, what does that mean? How do I wield this God-given authority, this, this rod, the word? Let's just you know, continue reflecting on the value of this second parenting dynamic. It's, it's simple. It just says the first, children are called to obey their parents. Parents are called to exercise authority over their children. Taking it further, you know, coming from God, this authority comes with a purpose. He's given it to you for a reason, just like he gave the state authority for a reason and the church authority for a reason, a different reason. He's given parents authority for their own reason. And it's, it's to raise your children up in the Lord, like we've covered. You're to use this authority for good, for their good. Not selfishly, just for your good. God didn't give you his authority over your kids that you could be little tyrants and just make them your personal servants just to, to do whatever you want them to do. No, you're, you're really a servant, as we learn about in church leadership, which is op opposite that of the world. For us to be a leader is to be a servant. We lead as servants, not as dictators, tyrants, making people serve us. We follow Christ who laid down his life to serve others. We, in parenting likewise, especially Christian parenting or biblical parenting, we are using this authority like Christ did as servants, laying down our life and our will, submitting it just to God's will. His will be done in parenting, not mine. Submitting to his will for the good of our children. And so you are to use all of your authority to fulfill the mission of biblical parenting, which we learned last week. Now, I'd urge you to commit that to memory, to glorify God by being faithful, to raise up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord directed at the heart. You can get more of that from the lesson from last week. But naturally, though, there are limits to your authority. Just like God put limits to the state's authority, it does not have universal authority over all people and all aspects of life. The church does not have universal authority over all people and all aspects of life. Then parents, you don't have all authority over all people or all aspects of their lives. You're just talking about your kids. But even then, your authority is not unlimited and it's not unconditional. Your authority is conditional. It's conditioned on leading them according to God's will, which means if you attempt to lead them into sin or, or lead them according to your own self-will, you're acting out of authority and they would be just to disobey you. That's an instance where they would be right for them to disobey you. 
just as we are right to disobey civil authorities trying to lead us into sin or lead us against God's will. That, I trust you know, within God's will, as you seek to parent God's ways, though, as you seek to do it according to his word and wisdom, though, now you can understand, though, you have a mandate to parent. You have authority to parent. It's not optional. This is your duty. Some parents have a hard time acting as the authority because it's just so foreign to them that they've never been an authority figure before. Other parents, I think, have a hard time with this because they don't know how to respond when their authority is challenged. Again, maybe they're just perhaps inexperienced as an authority figure, a leader. They're not leaders, but when they have a kid, they are the authority. It gets challenged. They just don't know how to respond, and it doesn't go well. You know, God might say you are the authority over your children, but I think most kids didn't get that memo. They will not make it easy to lead at first. Leadership, if your first job as a leader is over kids, yeah, you're in for a rough, rude awakening. As it is, they make it very hard to be a leader and to feel confident of yourself as a leader. They will challenge your authority all the time. That's because they don't want you ruling over them. They want to rule themselves. They want to live according to their will, which is just a reflection of their sinful nature. We discussed last week, which at its core is selfish. The heart of sin is self, and they're just driven by self-will, not God's will, certainly not your will. This explains in part why there's so much conflict in the home. This is why kids don't automatically listen. They rebel, they disobey your authority because they don't want to recognize it. And some parents just have a, a real hard time with this, that they're not prepared for this struggle. And so when their authority is challenged over and over and over again, sometimes they just, they give up and they give in. That you must not do this. You must not abdicate your authority as the parent to parent. You are God's agents. You have to stay the course even when it's hard. It's exhausting to abandon that authority as a parent to lead uh, is disastrous. And just another really simple, commonplace, almost trite example, but it still brings the point home. Just picture it, it's dinner time. And mom has, has gone through a lot of trouble to prepare a nice meal. We're not talking mac and cheese. We're talking like a three-course meal, a good, healthy, tasty meal. Naturally, though, one of your kids, what do they say? I don't want to eat this. I don't like this. The conflict has begun. A battle for authority will ensue. Who will determine what happens next? I'll tell you what should happen. The mom should respond, well, okay, maybe next time I can cook you something you like, but this is what I prepared tonight. You don't have to love it, but you do have to eat it. This, this is your only option for food tonight. End of story. And it's kind of funny, but this literally happened to us last night. <laughs> Not joking. Angel made Indian food. It was good. It wasn't like crazy. It wasn't spicy. It wasn't even like crazy exotic. It was just a chicken and rice dish. But one of our kids said, didn't want to eat it, didn't like it. But Angel just on her own laid down the law. His preference was taken into consideration for the future. But for now, this was his only option for food for the evening. And he ended up eating it and liking it, which always, almost always happens. Just once they get it down, they say they like it. Anyway, though, all too often, this scenario goes a different way. 
Mom at first tries to hold the line. No, I made dinner. It's not going to kill you to eat it. But the discussion is not over. The child has ways of breaking her down. He could complain or whine or cry or scream. One of their greatest tactics is just simply persistence. Now, children have this most amazing ability to just persist. They will wear you down. And we'll learn later, only the rod breaks that. That's where you, they meet the rod real fast. But eventually, mom, she just wants peace. And she wants her kids to eat. She doesn't want them to be like low on the scale of size and weight. She wants them to be normal. So she wants them to eat. She gives in and says, okay, fine. What, what do you want for dinner? Maybe a quick little negotiation takes place. She's not going to take a whole other meal, but she doesn't mind defrosting some chicken nuggets. She doesn't want her children to starve, and so she just gives in. All the while, dad is sitting right there. Hasn't said anything. He's not chimed in. He's not stepped in to lead or help at all. In this scenario, what message has been sent? That parents aren't in charge. That they have no authority in this relationship. They're, they're just more of like an advisor. They'll offer some suggestions, but at the end of the day, the decisions of parenting come down to the children. They're in charge. They're calling the shots. That's an authority God never gave them for all the reasons we talked about. And yeah, it's a simple kind of humorous example, but if that's the, the, the style, the, the nature of your parenting throughout your household, through all these different areas and this in general, you're going to find a dangerous role reversal that will lead to a lot of trouble real fast. And like I said earlier, your ability to implement the tasks of biblical parenting, which we'll learn about, Good luck. You're not going to you're not going to have an easy time doing that because you're the child. They're the parent. They're effectively the the decision makers. You're not. That has to change. That has to be reversed real quickly. And a couple of weeks ago I quoted from Ted Tripp's seminal book How to Share Shepherding a Child's Heart. It's a classic you should read, but he recounted a similar scenario of of a parenting authority conflict or conflict and then he made this telling comment. I'll read for you. Quote This scenario is repeated in the experience of young children in clothing choices, schedule choices, free time choices, and so forth. By the time the child is six or eight or 10, he is his own boss. By age 13, the child is out of control. Parents can cajole, plead, urge, in frustration and anger, scream and threaten, but the child is his own boss. The parent has long since given up the decision-making prerogative in the child's life. How did it happen? It crept in at a very early age as the parent made every decision, a smorgasbord of choices for the child to decide, end quote. But the operative word is it, the child decided. The deciding factor came to the child. That's, that's the essence of leadership and headship. We will all the time take into consideration our children's will, their desires, their preferences, because we love them. We want to see them happy and pleased. At the end of the day, who has the final say? Who is the leader, the authority? It had better be the parents. Otherwise, you're in for a world of trouble. You know, tonight, all we've really done and accomplished is just establish this dynamic of authority and obedience between the parent and the child. And it's, it's terribly simple. It should be obvious. I bet a lot of you here already knew it on paper. But hopefully, you understand it and appreciate it on a deeper level, like how important it is to get this straight and to uphold this clearly in your household. This is a foundational parenting understanding. It has to be communicated and then maintained. 
And some might respond like, hey, but don't kids need to learn to make their own decisions? Of course. And as they get older, you're going to be releasing more and more of your control over their lives to them. We're not trying to fashion robots. One day, they're going to be making all of the decisions for their own life. But again, while they're very young, they don't have the sense to make good decisions. God has deemed it good and necessary for them to be under your authority. You have to remember, you too are under authority. You are under God's authority. If you're here as a parent, you're just like the child to God. You're under his authority. And under his authority, he's called you to diligently lead, shepherd, instruct, discipline, and disciple your kids. And it doesn't matter if you want to do this or not. Just like it doesn't matter if your kid wants to clean their room or not. They're under authority. If you say clean the room, they need to clean the room. And if they don't, to them, it is sin. It doesn't matter if you're up for the task. You have kids. You're up for the task. God will hold you accountable. God has commissioned you. You are expected to act under his authority and obey him to do all this, just as your kids are to you. And so really a a grand takeaway we can get from this simple lesson is simply you must never abdicate your authority. You must never give up your parenting role or let your kids take it from you. You must never abdicate your parenting authority. Now, I shouldn't quite say never because it should be said, kids are not meant to be under our authority forever. And when my child is 30, I don't want to have to tell him to brush his teeth or eat all of his food or wash his hands. Hopefully by then, he's learned enough sense to function in this world. And even more hopefully, he's, he's learned to follow Christ as his Lord and will gain spiritual sense as well. But either way, it's God's will for parental authority to eventually be broken. You know this too, I hope. But if you don't, Genesis 2.24 establishes it. Ultimately, finally, it's in marriage where the parent's authority over their children is severed. Genesis 2.24, for this reason, man shall leave his father and mother. And that, that doesn't just mean place of dwelling. It's leaving their headship, their authority. And be joined to his wife. They shall become one flesh. This is where the, the final transfer of authority from the headship of the father to the headship of the husband takes place. When, when a, a children get married, grow up to get married, that authority from parents is now completely severed. You have no more authority. You have no more right to tell them what to do or how to live. That headship belongs to the husband, and he will lead biblically, hopefully, as, as we find in Scripture. Functionally, though, even before that, a parent's authority over their children mostly diminishes as they grow up and as they leave the home. Functionally, when they leave the house, they're not under your authority any longer. But this is appropriate because you're not called to live their life for them. That's not the parenting mission we talked about. You're never told to, to live the rest of their lives for them. They, they're individuals. But although your authority relationship ends... Your parenting relationship does not end, right? I think some of you here, your parents have older kids. You're no longer the authority of those kids. They're not kids anymore, but you're still their parents. And you still want to be in their lives. You want to be helping them. You want to be guiding them. You want to be influencing them desperately, I bet, right? And you do that now no longer by authority. You don't have any more authority, but hopefully by 
influence. Maybe you've got a 40-year-old daughter who's about to make a terrible financial investment and you desperately don't want her to do it because she'll be ruined, but you can't make her do anything. You have no authority. Best you can do is try and talk to her, try and talk to her husband, reach her, influence them. The question then becomes, do you have any influence? Have you gained, have you acquired, not authority, but influence in the lives of your kids? I want you to know there's an inverse relationship between authority and influence over your kids as they get older. What that means is when they're born, you have 100% authority and 0% influence. It's not like you can have a conversation with them to influence them on what to do. They don't even speak English. You can't respond at all. But you do have total authority and control over every aspect of their lives. And if you don't exercise that control, they will literally die. But as they get older, that changes. Functionally, your authority starts to to go down and down and down, diminishes from 100% total control of every aspect of their life. It is meant to diminish over time. You know, I don't want to physically have to brush my kids' teeth every night. I'd prefer it as they get older to teach them how to do it and then just entrust that to them. Yeah, we want to grant them more and more control over their lives and decisions as they get older. And we will make fewer and fewer decisions for them as they get older. Eventually, we get to the point where we will not be making any decisions for them. And when they leave our authority entirely, our authority will diminish to zero. We now have no right to make any decision for them anymore, right? So our authority diminishes over time. Hopefully, though, during that whole time, your influence rises and rises and rises. It starts at zero. But as they get older, they learn to communicate. They, they grow up. Their influence is building and building and building. Where you become a trusted influence in their lives where your words and your counsel carry great weight. If you've got a teenager and they want to listen to you, they want to hear from you, they want to know what you think. If you have a young adult and they call you to ask for your advice, they, they want your guidance on a future spouse, they're coming to you with their more advanced questions in life. You want that. I can guarantee all the, the older or, or parents or grandparents in the room desperately want that. And so you hope that by the time they leave the nest, though your authority may have dropped to zero, you, you've gained a huge amount of influence that will last for the rest of their adult lives. And a, a, a great parent-child, adult-parent-child relationship now forms. But here's the kicker. Ready? If you get authority wrong while they're young, you will lose your influence over them when they're older. I'll say that again. If you get authority wrong when they're young, you will lose your influence over them when they're older. If you give up your authority when they're young, you're not going to find much influence when they're older. It's true. I think many parents today feel like they don't have any influence over their teenage kids or their young adults. They have little say in the lives of their children now. And it feels like they don't need their parents' counsel at all. They don't really care what their parents have to say about anything. And parents wonder like, how did that happen? How did it get like this? They used to come to me for everything. Now they come to me for nothing. How, how did that happen? Now, I don't want to oversimplify. There's many reasons that could happen. But I think in a lot of cases, one big reason 
is that parents gave up their parenting mandate. They, they abdicated their parenting authority. They disengaged from the parenting task. Parenting is hard work. When you start with infants and toddlers, it's just a whirlwind of action and, and excitement, and it just requires full energy reserves from you. There's some parents who just get exhausted by it all. Some get exasperated by it all because as your kids get older, they're not responding the way they want them to. And so some parents reach a tipping point where they just start checking out a little bit more, a little bit more. They become a little bit more defeated in their spirit. They never get the obedience they're looking for so that they stop requiring it. They stop calling for it. They never get honor and respect, so they stop looking for it. And parents withdraw. They start spending less and less meaningful time with their kids. You know, their kids get more independent. They can take care of themselves so that their attention shifts toward their old interests. Usually, this involves turning their kids over to other influences and allowing other influences in their lives to have a larger say, a larger voice, wherein maybe they shouldn't. School teachers, coaches, peers, friends. We can allow our children to be massively influenced by other sources. That's not always a bad thing. Sometimes it might be. There's a tendency to, to see troubled kids and just blame it on their friends. Like, it's their friends' fault. Their friends have corrupted them. But how much blame rests on the parents for allowing those influences to creep in little by little and, and corner the parents out? And for not working hard to be the loudest voice in your kids' lives. Other times, your parents can lazily turn their kids just over to the culture without thinking about it. TV, movie, music, games, now the internet. I mean, talk about massive influence. But it's, it's, it's so much easier just to let them watch TV all night than to engage them, like read the Bible to them. That, that's a no-brainer. Which one's easier? It's so much easier to think they'll learn all they need to know about the world because they go to school six hours a week. They're good to go. But then one day you wake up with teens you know, when you think about it, you only really spend 15 quality minutes a day with them, but you've turned over the role of influencer, confidant, and counselor to their friends. You've permitted them to learn about truth in the world from TV and music. And you wonder, though, why they now have a drastically different worldview and don't really care what you think. You know, in reality, parents are the greatest influence in the lives of their children, or at least they're meant to be. You live with them. You know what makes discipleship hard in the church? The fact that we don't live with people. Like, try meeting a guy one, an hour a week. Like, how fast is that discipleship relationship going to advance? Like, that's, that's nothing. It's why Jesus lived with his 12 disciples for the better parts of three years. That you need time to gain influence, to shepherd, to lead. That's what makes today discipleship hard. But look, I trust you live with your kids. You have this chance to be an overwhelming influence for good. Unless you give that up, unless you just turn that over, unless you, you, you stop. I think you all know parents, or rather children, early on, they long to be with their parents and they want to be like their parents. But if you don't use that authority for good, wield it rightly while they're young, if you give it up, if you squander it, they will find greater, more fulfilling influences elsewhere and they'll leave you behind. You'll be seen as, you know, a nice care provider. You know, food, clothing, shelter, 
gadgets, toys, games. You give them lots of stuff, but you weren't really there when they face the bigger choices in life. They will move on. Thankfully, there's still hope. We're going to talk a lot about parenting teens later and uh, that there's a lot uh, of hope left for parents of teens who might even already be troubled. God's uh, grace and word are sufficient for you. But for now, we're simply driving home one central point. All of that is merely illustration. One central point that you, just, you cannot give up parenting. No matter the age, they're still in your home, they're under your authority, you're actively parenting. You can't give it up. This is one task you cannot delegate, not to the state, not to the church, not to grandparents, not to friends. No one. It's, it's your job. You have to do it. You can't disengage. You can't abandon your parental authority. You can't stop your parenting practice. This is the dynamic God created. For many years, they will be dependent on you. You are the authority. You have to lead with all you got. Now, our study this evening is, is just a long reflection on the true nature of the parent-child dynamic from a biblical perspective. And get, getting the nature of this relationship right, it's essential. Uh, hopefully, at the very least, we've given you a little bit more food for thought and something to discuss with your spouse or friends or family. But just to conclude real quick here, let me try and distill just a few practical conclusions we can draw from this lesson. Next week, we're going to start talking about instruction and discipline. And these will all come into play. I'll give you the quick list right now, but you'll see where we're going. And later when we talk about these, hopefully you'll rest on a foundation of everything we've talked about so far. A few quick practical conclusions. First, don't feel bad expecting and requiring obedience from your children. The culture, I think, wants you now to feel bad. Don't feel bad expecting and requiring obedience from your children. This is God's will, God's mandate to you. You're resting on good authority, his. That gives you confidence to lead, not arrogance and hopefully not abuse, but the confidence to just do things his way. Don't feel bad. Secondly, don't feel bad disciplining your children for disobedience. And God knows you won't get perfect obedience from your children. This is where, as we'll see, we talked about part of your mission is discipline, where you're using that rod to associate sting with a sin you have to realize that this, is, this too is for their good. This is showing them sin has consequences in this life, hoping they might learn it's got consequences in the next life as well. But you can't feel bad for disciplining them for disobedience. You're not going to get perfect obedience. This though becomes part of the mission you have to accept and embrace. This is part of using the authority God has given you. We'll learn all about that two weeks from now. Number three, don't tolerate disobedience. Don't tolerate disobedience. We'll talk about when and how to show grace a lot later. But as a rule of thumb, you are not serving them or or anyone when you're tolerating disobedience. There are a few things worse than a parent who has gotten wrong this parent-child dynamic and thinks it's acceptable or even noble to tolerate their child's sinful disobedience. But as we've seen, it's, it's not. And if you do this, you're doing them a great disservice. You're showing them the sin can be excused. It can be ignored. It's not that big of a deal. And not only does this shoot your future parenting efforts in the foot, but you're skewing how they will view their sin before God. I guess that's not that big of a deal too. Number four, don't forget about the heart. 
You have to put this in here that all the while, you know, we're not just concerned about behavior and outward obedience. Obedience from the heart is what we're after. That's what we'll communicate. That's what uh, we'll go after. And in addition, our chief goal is not just obedient children. As we discussed in our first lesson, ultimately children who choose to follow the Lord Jesus themselves. We can't make that choice for them. The gospel must penetrate the soil of their hearts and come to life for that to happen. But I'll tell you what, truly nothing softens and tills the soil of your children's hearts than being trained in obedience. We'll see later how vital that is to preparing their hearts to receive and embrace the gospel. On the flip side, nothing will harden their hearts like turning them over to disobedience without consequence. You will find them sour to the Lord and the things of the Lord. Number five, don't abuse your authority. We have to insert this too. Don't abuse your authority. None of it comes from you. It's all from God. You'll give an account for how you use it. Don't abuse it. Don't use it for evil. Don't use it for selfish means. Don't be self-willed. Be God-willed. Use it all as God intended, selflessly for the blessing, training, and protection of your children. And then lastly, our, our time is definitely up. But number six, don't get discouraged by hard times. Don't get discouraged. You got to prepare for the long haul. This is, we're playing the long game. We're not playing the short game. This is, we're in for the long haul. We're talking two decades of labor. Training your children to honor and obey you is hard work. It takes a long time. After many years, it will not be perfect. Just like you do not perfectly honor and obey God. Do you? I don't. We think, we're thankful for God's grace with us. We will show grace to our kids. But even while it's hard, when we're in those training stages, even when you're dealing with a stubborn, rebellious, self-willed child, don't lose hope. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't throw in the towel and check out. You have to stay the course. Just be faithful. Going back to our mission to glorify God by being faithful, not by succeeding in the world's sense, just glorifying God by being faithful to raise up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, focused on the heart. There's only so much we can control. The end result is not one of them. Just be faithful in your mission, trust God, but then take comfort knowing he's good. And he's delighted to bless his children who do things his way. If you commit and resolve to continue to do things his way, or maybe to change course and start doing things his way, either way, he's glorified by that. He is a good God who blesses his people who honor and obey him. He will bless you. He will bless your children. You can be filled with hope. It's never too late to start or change course or repent, resolve. We do it all the time. We make corrections all the time. We all need to do that and just stay this course of uh, being the authority of our kids, raising them up to know the Lord. Hopefully that gives you some instruction, some understanding. We need to seek God's understanding of this parenting dynamic. And we'll rest on that until next week. Let me close this in prayer. Our great God. We thank you for your word and for your wisdom that you, you share in the scriptures. You're the God who made us. You made our children. You know human nature. You know the sin nature. You know the parenting-child relationship. You know all these things. You, Father, are the perfect parent. Your son Christ exemplified the perfect child. We can look to you for, for who we are and what we are to do. 
We've learned this evening, Lord, you've given us some of your authority. We, we have none on our own. We're just animated dust. What authority do we have over another soul? But in your will, you've given it to us. You've delegated us a measure of it. That's, that's power. That, that is true power, but let, us not, let it not go to our heads or, or puff us up. It is rather a great grave responsibility that should humble us. But at the same time, uh, make us cling to the cross for hope and for help and to your word for instruction. But Lord, as you've given us this authority for this precious task of raising up these precious souls, teach us about it, Lord. Give us more instruction and wisdom on it. What is it? How do we wield it, this rod? How do we do it right and get it right? Give us more instruction from your word. At the very least, I pray you convict everyone here tonight to, to, to have a desire for it, to search for it. May that there be a longing in their hearts for the wisdom of your word to, to parent. We need your grace. We need your hope in all of these things, Lord. None of us is sufficient, but you will make us sufficient. Even just being here and submitting to your word is an act of you working on us, and that, that will be just to the blessing of our children. We thank you for our children. We pray for their salvation continually, and just pray for our resolve uh, to train them up and to just keep being faithful in the work you've given us to do. It's a hard work, but it's, it's still a joyful and happy work. We thank you for the blessing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.